Thank you, JP. And good afternoon, everyone. Um, just quickly, when the youth leave, it leaves a bit of a, a gap to say that if you want to move forward and find a seat that's a little bit close front, feel free. Um, and just before we get into what we're speaking on today, I just want to take a moment just to take stock of that time of worship. I personally, I was like, oh my goodness, the presence of God is here throughout that time of worship. I left to go to the loo about 20 minutes in and then came back. And genuinely, it was like going over the threshold into the room. It's like, Woof, the spirit of God is here. And um, we were praying just before the service started in, in the other room, just that God would come and encounter us in a fresh way during our worship time. And my prayer particularly was knowing what I'm preaching on, that he would do that because it basically is then proof of what I'm about to say. So I'm like, oh, cheers, Jesus, like, hook me up. Um, like, he's here. Like, let's not miss that because we do this every week. Like, he's here and we are enjoying the presence of God together. That is profound. Um, and hopefully, also what I'm about to say, also profound. Um, as JP said, my name's Chris. If you don't know me, I'm one of the leaders here. Is there anyone um, here from the 10 a.m. that is the first time in the four o'clock service today? Yeah, welcome. This is the cutting edge of church life, afternoon church. Um, four o'clock in the afternoon, so welcome. And again, if you're new, so great to have you. Um, today, we are finishing our Matthew series. We have been in Matthew's gospel account for just over a year now. We started at the beginning of September um, in 2021. And today, we draw it all to a close with Matthew's final words um, in the Great Commission. Um, but before we get into what I'm speaking on today, just a comment on the series as a whole. If you do want to catch up on any of the messages, perhaps there are kind of a few that stuck out to you or you know Jesus spoke to you in, um, all of them are available on our website or our podcast. So you can go back and catch up with anything that you missed or that you want to re reference again. But over the last few weeks, we've been, I suppose, in a bit of a mini series of sorts where we've been looking at the Great Commission kind of bit by bit. Gus started us off speaking on the authority that Jesus has to command us to go. Um, Rosie then followed that up speaking on baptism and this idea that we too pass through the waters of death like Jesus did. And then just last week, JP spoke on discipleship. You know, this make disciples is a term that we're very familiar with, but uh, what does it actually mean to make disciples and to do that as a community? And then today, we wrap up the whole thing with the, the very last words in the Great Commission, the promise that Jesus makes. So we're going to be in Matthew 28 again, um, from verses 18 through to 20. So if you've got a Bible with you, then do get that open, have that open while I'm speaking, but the words will come up on the screen. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through to 20. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to bring you in a little bit into my world in terms of the preparation for this message. We love the Bible at Grace Church, and it is the thing from which everything else flows that we do. And so whenever we come to prepare for speaking or preaching on a Sunday, um, we study it well and spend a lot of time in something that we call commentaries, which are basically books written by scholars and theologians that themselves have given their lives to studying passages of scripture, and generally speaking, have more wisdom and insight than otherwise we would. Um, 
And so whenever we come to preach, part of the process is to go and get a bunch of commentaries on the passage. And so I went upstairs and went and found our shelves with all the commentaries on. And obviously there's a bunch, a bunch on Matthew. We'd been in it for a year. You'd hope that there was a few in there. So lo and behold, got those out on the desk. And I'm basically, at this point, I'm basically thinking, worst case scenario, I can just lift a few of these paragraphs, chop them all together, put an intro on, and we've got a sermon. <laughs> so I get them out on the desk, and I'm like, all right, flick right to the end, to the bit about the Great Commission. I've got the last sentence. It's very easy to find. And I'm flicking through, flicking through, and it's like, okay, it gets to verse 18, and they've got absolutely tons to say on what's going on, what it, all the authority, and then verse 19, on tons to say on what it means to go, and disciples, and baptize, all of this. I'm like, yeah, this is great. Then flick on again, verse 20, and then I had this moment where I was sort of like, Flicking my page back and forth like, have they been stuck together? Because it seems like they fizzled out a little bit when it came to my sentence at the end of the Great Commission. <laughs> I was like, no! <laughs> I'm being somewhat unkind to the commentators because they obviously have something to say. They don't just stop. But um, it's not quite as expansive as the bits that had come before. And it's tonally quite different. And I, I share that because I think it is helpful for us as we come today, where rather than looking at this final sentence, this promise that we're going to look at, and try and learn it, or kind of go through the intricacies of the language and the wording, though there is a place for that, I want it to hit our hearts. Because the way that these commentators write is so worshipful. It's full of awe and amazement just at what is being promised. It's full of delight and, in some ways, almost disbelief that this promise is, is real. It's been given and offered, not just to the disciples, but to us. And so my hope is that we might leave today with something of the same attitude. Not just understanding this promise, but believing it for ourselves, as if Jesus were in the room and spoke it to you before you left. That's my hope. And so get your heart ready, I suppose, for that, to expect that as we go through this afternoon. Because although this promise was spoken over this group of 11 men, the disciples, you know, given their lives to follow Jesus, they actually represent the future of Jesus's church. So this promise didn't just die with them. That's why it's reached us today. That's how it's made it through the centuries to this point. And so I want to spend a bit of time looking at the nature of this promise and the reality of it and like what it means for us, what it's doing. And firstly, the thing that stuck out to me upon reading this passage was that this promise is a comfort to the disciples. It's reassurance. It's safety. It's a comfort to their souls upon hearing those words. Because the commission itself is actually pretty terrifying. That's the word that Phil Moore uses to describe it. He calls it the terrifying commission. Probably a slightly less appealing title to kind of reference it otherwise. The terrifying commission. And it makes you wonder a bit, like, how on earth these men felt when they heard these words being spoken to them. And I, I always like to try and get in the mindset of the disciples and kind of really get yourself in the scene. And we already know that they were a little bit, I suppose, confused in as much as a couple of verses before, we're told that some worshipped, but some doubted. So there's already a bit of a mixed response and a bit of a, uh, a mixture of what the hearts are, are doing at that point. And... When I try and get in their headspace, sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I'm doing them a bit of a disservice. But the more I read about the disciples, the more I realize they're basically just a bunch of regular dudes trying their best to follow Jesus. And then I realize I'm a regular dude, just trying my best to follow Jesus. 
So maybe we're not so different after all. So I'm in their brain space. I'm thinking, okay, I'm a disciple. I'm hearing this, these words, this commission being spoken over me. And even if you were to slow it down to like half speed and just like take it in, it's overwhelming. Now imagine just being stood there. Jesus starts by telling you that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. At that point, inside, maybe even outside, you're kind of like wanting to cheer him on. You're thinking, yes, I believe this. This is the one I'm following, the one with the authority. Then he says, go. You're like, I'll go anywhere for you, Jesus. Therefore, and make disciples. You're thinking, yeah, okay, I can do that. Of, and he's like, yeah, just tell, tell me where. All nations. Now, I don't know what your perspective would have been at that point, but as soon as those words came out of his mouth, my thought would have been, that's a lot of people. <laughs> I don't know where I, where I thought he was going to send me, maybe just the city, maybe the nation, but all nations, every single people group, no one excluded. There's like a moment where you just think, oh my goodness, we're already a man down. How are 11 of us going to do that? <laughs> and then he goes on, right? baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, you think, okay, all that I have commanded you. And you're like, oh, I should have written more of it down. <laughs> and just at that point, real, like the ask that is being given to you is monumental. It is overwhelming. It's terrifying. And then come the following words. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. And just imagine the kind of the sense of relief and comfort that hit their hearts upon hearing those words. And maybe even a bit of like, why didn't you just say that at the beginning? Like, you're coming with us. We're not doing this alone. And crucially, there is no condition attached to this promise. One of the commentators that did have something to say on this, Craig Blomberg, he says this. Jesus promises to be with them irrespective of their successes or their failures. This promise does not hinge on whether they do well or not. Even regardless of the extent to which they achieve it, it's not in the promise. He just says, I'll be there. I'll be present always. And I know that this promise is a comfort because it's been a comfort to me. You think about the last couple of years that we've had. Personally, in my life, this promise was kind of all I had. We go back to spring of 2020, where we, we hit and entered into lockdown for the first time as a country. The world got turned upside down overnight. Our world, as a church did, all of a sudden, everything that we know and did for church totally undone, kind of starting from scratch. And my role in the staff team here um, is I lead our worship teams, our production teams, and our media teams. And it meant that overnight for me, my role basically transformed into producing church every week for the next year, year and a half, maybe even longer. And it was relentless. And I remember being in my study at home feeling so isolated, so lonely. It was so hard. It was so dark. It, it broke me, basically. I've only realized that kind of since 
not coming out the other side, but kind of since having a chance to look back on it. Like, there's so much hurt in my heart. Not only was there the level of work that was required to make that happen and the goalposts seemingly changing every single week, it was also the year that my wife and I were going to have our first child. She was mercifully born in the August of that year, so we were allowed to have some visitors at that little brief window, but no sooner had it opened up than things shut down again. And I know there are other families that had it the same, if not worse, where kids were born in the first lockdown, where they met family for the first time through window panes. And I, I just realized now that there was so much anger brewing in my heart. I was so hurt that all this stuff just got robbed from me. It just got taken. I felt like the first days of my daughter's life were spent without getting to meet anyone. And a lot of it, this, this guilt that kind of fell in of like, how much am I even allowed to be there for her? Because I've, I've got so much to do. There's so much to do, so much to do. It was horrible. All that time, in my mind, I was like, I'm just barely clinging on to Jesus. Now I realize I wasn't even doing that. He was just clinging on to me. He said he'd be with me always, and, and he was. As I tried to do my bit to fulfill this terrifying great commission, he was with me in my suffering. It's the first time in my life I would ever have used that word, that I suffered, endured suffering. I imagine that's true of so many of us. He was right there with me. He's still with me now as I try to untangle myself from it and its effects. And I know that he will be with me as I look to the hope that I have in the future and the freedom that I believe is coming. He's right there in the midst of it. See, Jesus has promised to be present in your suffering, no matter what you face. Not just on the sidelines cheering you on, though maybe even that sounds appealing. I'd love a cheerleader some days. But he's promised more than that. Maybe it's when, when tears start trailing down your cheeks, when you're finally out of view of friends or family. Maybe it's just done the school drop-off when you're walking home or in the car on the commute. Maybe it's in your bedroom. And you're just confronted and reminded again of the long-standing sickness that has plagued your body for so long. Doctors can't resolve it. They don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. He's right there in the midst of it. Maybe for you it's... You're like screaming on the inside as the desperation of anxiety and depression, not just like weighs down, but pulls apart seemingly your heart and your mind and you don't know where to turn and nobody gets it. He's right there with you. Maybe for you it's when your weary and fractured heart finally just begins to buckle and eventually break. When a failed relationship that was once so laden with hope and promise falls through. It feels like no one in the world understands how you feel. He is right there with you. Not there to fix anything, actually. He knows as much as anyone that in this life we'll face trouble, hardship, suffering. That to follow him is to take up our cross. To live a life of suffering is the way of Jesus, the man of suffering himself. But in it all, as we go and 
feel like we're doing the tiniest bit towards this great commission, he's promised to be with us always. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a reassurance. What comfort for our souls. We all need to hear this, but some of you I believe in particular today need to know this afresh. I know that because I'm basically preaching to myself in the seat as much as anyone else. And he's here for you, with you in the midst of it. But it's not just that the promise is a comfort and a reassurance, though it is in a remarkable way. We must make sure we don't just reduce it to some sort of like bonus that's nice to have when we need it. Because this promise is absolutely essential to the success of this mission. And the same is true of our lives. We can have as much pep and get up and go as we want, but without Jesus, we have nothing. Empty. The fulfillment of the Great Commission is, I believe, entirely bound up in and dependent upon the two promises that bookend the mission itself. First, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Second, that he will be with them always to the end of the age. Jesus is the only one with the authority to make such an audacious ask and the only one with the ability to make it possible. Only him. In fact, I'd say that this promise is the decisive part of the Great Commission. I think we focus on the mission bit most of the time. You think Great Commission, we think go. Understandably, I get that. But this bit is the game changer. Without it, you've just got 11 men trying their best to convince people of a coming kingdom, whatever that might mean. With it, with this promise, we have the king himself. In Paul's first letter to the church in the ancient city of Corinth, he writes these words, that the wisdom of this world is folly with God. And he goes on and encourages us not to boast in men. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In other words, don't put all our trust just in kind of gifting and what looks like wisdom or accomplishments. Without this promise, that's all we'd have. A masquerade of wisdom, gifting that ultimately winds up empty and that would just die out with these 11 men, maybe one or two generations on. But with it, we have the Christ. The one who is the fullness of God himself. Who's, as we heard in our worship time, whose words are life itself. The one in whom and by whom all things were made and bound together. The one who we also heard in our worship time can now never die, having been resurrected once and for all. Jesus is the difference when it comes to the Great Commission. He is the essential part of this mission. Him. Not what we do. Him. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's why in Luke's gospel, another account of Jesus' life, we read that the disciples returned to Jerusalem upon hearing this commission with great joy. Because he hasn't just sort of handed over the baton to them and then relinquished his responsibility and cheered them on and said, off you go, boys. He's called them Nay, he's brought them up into what he is already doing. The promise at the end of the Great Commission or the Commission is critical to the Commission itself being fulfilled. And it's the assurance that the disciples needed 
to go on with joy, faith, and hope that it actually might happen. But how is all of that true 2,000 plus years later for you and me? Like, how does that actually happen? How is that possible? Well, this is where it gets really good. It all boils down to another promise that Jesus made. In John's gospel, we hear Jesus tell the disciples that it's to their advantage that he go, that he leave them. Because when he does, he says, he will send the helper, which is a name for the Holy Spirit, also known as the Spirit of Jesus. That's what we're told in the book of Acts. He says that would be better than having him in the flesh. Because although this that we're reading and we've looked at today is the conclusion of Matthew's gospel, it's put here, kind of without any elaboration or subsequent comment, knowing full well that this is but the beginning, truly. These few verses are, are burning and riddled with anticipation and expectation of what's about to happen, like, like a fuse being lit that then quivers and jolts all the way up to a firework that when it ignites explodes with color and light and power, the likes of which the world has never seen before. And by golly, does it go off? It's at this point, I think as Rosie put it a couple of weeks ago, that the Holy Spirit is, is sort of poised, ready, waiting in the wings for the day that we've come to know as Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit is poured out in such measure that 3,000 souls were saved, baptized, and added into God's new family. When Jesus makes this promise, he has Pentecost in view. He knows the Spirit is coming. It's better that I go, because when that happens, everything changes. But also, Jesus makes this promise knowing full well what he has already done, what he has already accomplished. Because Pentecost, the infilling of the Holy Spirit in the church, should not have been possible. Should never have happened were it not for Jesus. He purchased the right for the church to become the dwelling place of the holy, most almighty God, to be the new temple, again, as we heard in our worship, towards a good worship time. That in giving himself, Jesus, on the cross as a sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb to bleed and die for our sin, for your sin, for mine, the sin of the world, he purified us. He cleansed and he cleaned out our hearts, making them a fitting home for the Holy Spirit to inhabit forever. That's how he's with you today because he lives in your heart. You can never be apart from him. This promise, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the church itself, this, you, me, all of this is all born out of the cross and the empty grave. Without that, none of this happens. None of it is possible. It means that without any shadow of a doubt, you can know in every single waking, sleeping moment of your existence, that he is with you. That's how. And the part of all this that really blows my mind, as if that was not enough, is that we sit here today thinking that 
all of this is our joy, which it is. What an immense privilege and delight that we have Jesus forever. The crazy thing is, he would say the same of us. We are his joy. For it has always been God's desire and his unfathomable and boundless delight to dwell with his people. That's what he's always wanted. Since the very beginning, in fact, in the garden, God dwelt with his people. And his promise to Moses to be with the people as they ventured into the promised land and beyond and throughout the Old Testament until we get to the first chapter of this very gospel, Matthew's account, where such was God's desire to have a people for himself that he himself came to be with them. He gives his son, Jesus, this little baby boy, Emmanuel, God with us. His delight to be with his people. And yet, perhaps even in some way at that moment, even as we reflect back, kind of begs the question, well, that sounds great, but God with us for how long? Well, here, the baby, now become king, raised to reign forever, confirms the scope of that promise himself. And he says it's going to go all the way up to the end of the age. What phenomenal news for us to hear. Maddie, do you want the band to come up? It's an incredible promise. And I think there's a, almost a sort of sweet irony as we come to the end of this series at its close, where last September, we set out with the aim of being with Jesus. It's in the tagline. It's in the name of the series. That over this year, we would learn him and get to know him, walk very slowly through his days, get to know his voice. And yet, here at the end, it's almost as if he's sort of smiling down on us with the words of this promise, saying, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Hallelujah.